Bitcoin exists, any sort of moralistic lens of perspectives of like what it should be doing is a conversation. But Bitcoin works as this anarchic system where there's no one in control and everyone gets to use it however they want. And if people can't do that, the project fails. Hello there. How are you all doing? Did you have a good weekend? I had a great weekend. My football team, Real Bedford, we beat second in the league, Rugby Borough, who's been chasing us down. It was a huge result. It was nil-nil up until the 85th minute. And our boy, Eddie Corbett, stepped up and scored. And then we scored again in the 90th minute. It's a huge win. We're now 10 points clear with 11 games to go. It's looking good. It's looking like we might win the title. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for everyone. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got Rob Hamilton on the show to discuss ordinals. Now, a lot of you have been reaching out, been saying, Pete, when are you going to cover ordinals? Pete, why have you made an ordinal show? Pete, everyone is talking about ordinals. Do you know what? It was one of those subjects where I had to take a bit of time to think about this one because I saw two very interesting arguments on both sides of it, and I wasn't sure how it was going to play out. So, yeah, we we waited on this one. Danny and I talked it through. We had different feelings about it, and we decided to wait. Wait to get Rob Hamilton on the show when we're in New York and discuss it. Now, <laughs> it's funny. I don't really like confrontational shows. I talked about this in the Michael Sunshine show that I make recently. But this also, this got a little bit frosty because I took the position of against ordinals to really push and test Rob. And the reason being is that I'm not fundamentally against ordinals. I don't give a shit if people want to create stupid NFTs on the Bitcoin blockchain. What I care about is making Bitcoin or supporting Bitcoin being the best form of money out there. And so I pushed back quite hard on Rob with regards to ordinals. So yeah, so we've we've discussed this. We uh, we made a good show. Quite interestingly, we're releasing it today at a time where the mempool has now cleared which I think is kind of interesting. But I am looking to cover this again. I'm going to find somebody who is on the anti-ordinal side. I'm going to push as somebody who's maybe pro-ordinals to kind of test what they think about it. So anyway, if you've got any questions about this, please do hit me up. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you haven't yet checked it out, we've been doing loads of new stuff on our Patreon. There's loads of exclusive content up there that we haven't released anywhere else. You might want to go and check that out. That is patreon.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. You can jump into our Discord. You can tag me, Danny or Ben, catch up with us there. We're also recording our exclusive show, which is me, Danny and Ben reviewing the month. We're going to be recording that tonight. That's going out to Patreon as well. And as ever, you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can just drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. How delicate are you, Danny? Not that delicate. How much do you have to drink? I don't know. I didn't think it was that much, but I had a martini. How how many drinks at dinner? Two. But one was a martini. You only had two drinks through a whole two-hour meal? No, we weren't even there that long. I was arguing with Junset the whole time. What were you arguing with Junset about? Um, I actually will not say that on recording. Not for me, but for (laughs) Junset. Well, this is part of the show now. People are going to want to know. What what did Junset say? You have to come to what Bitcoin did live. That's right. I love the... um, your inclusion on the show now more formally especially the patreon's the most fun one for that it's, it's been a good thing yeah bringing danny in i think he's a, a well you've or you've already said this before right like a, your your conscience yeah a little bit sometimes but the one thing that well there's two things that piss me off about it yeah all right the first one is like danny always asks such good questions and i'm like he asks one a fucking show <laughs> Yes, like it, it has is to, easy. Then. It has to be a good question if you're asking what a show. Yeah. Um, 
But also, it's the thing when we go to events now, of uh, people are like, oh, where's Danny? And I'm like, they're like, oh, where's Danny? I'm like, oh, he's not here. And they're like, oh. Well, well. Fuck Danny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been really good. Um, it, all the emails we get now are written to Peter and Danny, pretty much. Oh, love yeah. to see it. Danny has a stalker on, the, on uh, oh, no. YouTube. That's a problem. Derek S. Derek S. Big shout out, Derek S. Derek S. <laughs> The man is definitely smoking something. <laughs> uh, but all of your all of your fans are stone sober. <laughs> no, mine are just psychopaths. Yeah, the, the, the anti fans. Yeah, actually, they're dying down. Are they? Yeah. You know why? Because you just fucking moved on. Yeah. You don't give them power, and That's... they just like what, they're gonna sh- 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 scream into the void. Yeah, I just th- we were talking about it yesterday, weren't we? With Hoddle, mm. it's like. Uh, did he say a standing army destroys itself? Yeah. And they've kind of imploded. And mm-hmm. and I think just the whole world's moved on from like, yeah, let's be toxic. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that on the show. I think well, uh, the show's on. We're recording. We're like, we're this live? Is, yeah. We're we, doing it. We don't tell. You, you, oh, you did a yeah. stealth <laughs> rip on me. All right. Like you're in. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it also came a lot too for like your management on Twitter, being able to communicate people. You're less combative and like giving attention to every troll that says something mean to you, right? And that removes their power. And that was Danny. There you yeah, go. Danny. We used to do our little therapy sessions every morning. Mm. I'd go for a walk, call Danny as I walked around Bedford Park, saying they're so mean to me. Like Danny would... people with three followers on Twitter are being mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> Spokane Hoddle was rude to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck Spokane Hoddle. <laughs> He's a dick. Have you met Sirius.Hoddle? Sirius? No. You have. Okay. I've rebranded American Hoddle to Sirius.Hoddle. Sirius.Hoddle. Have you not noticed his Twitter's got really serious now? Yeah, I think uh, his rebirth onto Twitter, he's just taking a different perspective of what he's there for. We've got a serious New York soundtrack going on in the background. Shut, yeah. the, shut the fuck up, New York. Every time we come to New York, it's just noise. Yeah, it's everywhere. a complete shit show. Yeah. But I, I like his rebirth. I think he's he's so smart. I think he also is a bit atoning for his sins because his irreverent, hilarious style, um, you had a bunch of left curvers copy them, not realizing that you have to have like tact and intelligence to be funny and rude. And people just, oh, I can be rude and get social following. And then it turned into this like very negative feedback loop where you would, uh, instead of having interesting ideas or, you know, different perspectives, it was just who could be the biggest dick. Yeah. And then it became a way of a badge of honor of just being a dick and then you don't really have much of a culture on being a dick. Yeah. No, and, and I, I kind of, one of the things I've really appreciated with him is like we have a lot of like offline conversations where we hang out and he's actually very practical and realistic about the world yep. we live in rather than people are just like, in the government and, you know, like all the kind of standard bullshit you hear, this, right. this uh, expectation that Bitcoin fixes the entire world all the time and, you know, if you, and if you like, if you don't agree with that, then you're a cuck. Like, he's he's actually very practical in the background. He's very yeah. realistic about the world, and yeah. uh, I appreciate him for that. He's he's a good man. He's serious. Hoddle. He is. Yeah, he was. Um, uh, he's a very interesting guy. I got to hang out with him a lot more on Clubhouse. And when the idea came up around me starting a company, he was first money in. He's like, Rob, let's just do it. I'm like, go. I believe in you. Go shoot for it. And uh, he's been an amazing. Uh, person to get advice from and perspectives from uh he's uh the, the man is more than just the twitter meme and i think maybe serious hoddles a little bit of showing that other side of him i like it yeah i think you should wear a suit and a tie now <laughs> anyway how you been man i'm doing well it's good to see you yeah it's good to be here it's nice to have your wife here yeah hi abby hello abby yeah she now knows all my internet friends aren't just made up in my head <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we're going to talk to Abby later. We're going to embarrass her. Um, good to see you, man. Always good to see you. Uh, so we're going to discuss ordinals. So the setup yeah. is that uh, I kind of seen the debate happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, it, when, when anything like, like this kicks off, you kind of, everyone takes a position, right? Sure. And I couldn't take a position on this because I was like watching these arguments and thinking, I, just, I don't give a fuck. Because I don't give a fuck if people want to post JPEGs to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But I also don't give a fuck if people's like, some people are like, this is bad for Bitcoin. Like, Bitcoin's about money. This is bloating the blockchain. Whatever it, whatever their reason is. Um, I was also like, well, sh- go and figure that out. Go and figure it out. And mm-hmm. I just, I took little interest in it. But my interest is now growing because a lot of people I like and respect are saying, no, this is cool. Um, and a couple of things that stand out to me that I really like about it is, it's making Bitcoin a bit more fun. Yep. I used to explain Bitcoin, being a Bitcoiner in crypto is like going to Vegas and then going to have a meeting in a glass room where you're having a very boring PowerPoint presentation mm-hmm. and you're seeing everyone outside the glass room running around having fun. Yeah. That was what it like to be a Bitcoiner. And yep. bringing a bit of fun is kind of cool. So that's kind of piqued my interest. Sure. I think that's kind of interesting. Um but I also am very sympathetic to the side that like we're trying to create the best money in the world. Mm-hmm. Does this get get in the way of creating good money? Are there negative externalities that affect this being good money? So I'm kind of like, the only thing I don't like is the kind of, I've seen some almost religious condemnations of yep. this, which I think it's just like, fuck off, no interest in that. So, But I don't know much about this. I've not spent much time looking at this. Let's do this, like explain it like I'm a fetus. Let's go straight in at the. Like, Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the Ordinal Project was started uh, by Casey Rotomore, who uh, is a longtime Bitcoin developer. He is the leader for the San Francisco BitDevs uh, meetup. He took over after Alex Schleichman left uh, from River, and he's been for a very long time involved in Bitcoin on the technical code level, right? And he also took interest in generative art. He started playing around and seeing that there were informed people that were buying and selling NFTs and creating art on Ethereum. And he wanted to understand, I think at a high level, like how this can be done with Bitcoin. The uh, Ordinal Project gives every single Satoshi since the beginning of the Genesis block all the way to the end, a unique number. That already existed or something, They've the Ordinal Project has made that happen. The Ordinal Project, brought it into some sort of consensus layer where you and I can come to agreement as to what each number was. It's like right? a serial number on a back note. Very similar to that. Yeah. And the idea is that, you know, this could have existed, this uh, as an idea could have existed since the start of Bitcoin. There's no, there's nothing, uh, all of the code that Casey's done, uh, all of the ordinal project stuff is entirely independent of Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin doesn't recognize any of this stuff. Bitcoin recognizes a transaction. Is it valid or is it not valid? So where where does the serial number, the ordinal serial number exist? Yeah, so uh, the ordinal software, ORD, O-R-D, is what it's applying this layer. And to run this software, you have to run an entire full node and index every transaction that's ever happened. So is this additional code that, or something you download onto your node? On top of Bitcoin. It's like a layer that sits on top of Bitcoin. Okay, and hmm. so some questions on that early on. Sure. If you are giving a serial number code to every single Satoshi, mm-hmm. what does that do for things like Wasabi? Well, 
the it really doesn't matter in the sense that uh, the serial numbers that are kind of following on top of this stuff have a very simple way of doing accounting. And if I were to use Wasabi or Samurai or Join Market, some sort of coin join, I may be trading my serial numbers, but my I'm not holding the same serial number across the 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 um like the the coin join. I'm not like I'm basically like. Uh, I give you a $100 bill with a serial number five and you give me a $100 bill with a serial number seven. Is there anything in there that would make someone like Chain Analysis life easier? No, because it, only people who care about the ordinal software are even looking at this oh, stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Right, so it's so like you, if you never run the ordinal software and you have one Bitcoin, you just have one Bitcoin. There's, there's no, it's not like the serial number's tracking you across time. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then, the, but this is the, to give a fair charitable side of the debate. This is the, one of the concerns, though, is that if enough people start using ordinals, a lot of people start building on top of this protocol, that there would be some case to be made that you are actually uh, those serial numbers matter. But the reality is, is that an, I think an over an overwhelming majority of Bitcoin users and the actual coins themselves pay no respect or care to any of this. But but if one person is running it, mm -hmm. then every Satoshi does have this kind of serial number. Mm -hmm. And at any point, if somebody wants found a way of or thought that information was useful for tracking something, mm -hmm. they could download the ordinal software and and follow and, it along. And follow it along. Yeah, right. So if someone was uh, using the ordinal software and they were trading some of these JPEGs that are floating around, you could use the ordinal software to follow like the JPEG across the blockchain. But if the ordinal is applying this kind of serial number to every Satoshi, is it doing it from the point it sees everyone? Or is there already a unique identifier that is attaching it to it? Like how does that... So it actually starts all the way at the Genesis block. The first Satoshi ever mined in the Genesis block is ordinal number zero. And there's 100 million Satoshis in a Bitcoin. So the first block has, went from zero, Satoshi number zero to Satoshi number 5 billion, 50 Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And then the next block went from 50 billion in one to 100 billion. And you do this across the entire blockchain and every single transaction as it comes in. Uh, sorry to be dumb, but how does it attach it to that Satoshi? How does it, how does it know it's that's... Oh, no, I think I know. I think I understand because the software has identified them at that point and then is then following them. Yeah, so th th exactly. The, um, the software is following it across time. But hold on. Say, say Genesis, Genesis block, you sent me half a Bitcoin from, say, you mine the Genesis block. Oh, you, actually, you can't send Bitcoin from the Genesis block, can you? You can't. It's actually a specific, uh, uh, it's a specific uh, part of the code that you can't actually use the Genesis block coins that are in there. Satoshi locked them specifically. So block one, you want to send me half a Bitcoin. And so that's, you know, 25 billion Satoshi. Sure, two, 25 Bitcoin, two, uh, 25 so, billion Satoshis. Yeah, so sorry, you want to send me uh, half the block, so it's 25 sure. billion. How does it know which Satoshis are which? Well, I'm so happy you asked. I can do an example here of what it looks like right now with the or like how it would work in a Bitcoin transaction. So I'm yeah. going to make this very simple. And I'm going to say we have a six Satoshi transaction. And I mm -hmm. have six cards. So this is, here are my Satoshis on my side of the transaction. I own six Satoshis, right? The way it works in normal Bitcoin today is I want to send you, let's say I want to send you three. I send three to you. 
One, two, three, right? I give two to myself back in change, right? That's how Bitcoin works is if I, you have to spend an entire transaction when you use mm -hmm. it. So if this is the input side, my six Satoshis, I'm giving Peter three right here. I'm giving two back to myself as change. And this one is a minor fee. So the miner takes this yep. one and it pays for the transaction. Okay. That's how a normal Bitcoin transaction works today. If I may, I was actually at Bitcoin Park last week with Casey and we were talking about ordinals, doing some code that we can talk about while we're here. But he also gave a gift for me to give to you. Oh, wow. Okay. So he ran a special ritual. He rubbed it against his node. He said <laughs> some magical words. And these are magi magical orticles, like spectacle orticles. So you need to put these on. And I'm going to put on my own pair too. And we're going to go through, we're going to go into the orderverse. All right. How do I look? You look, look great. You look cool. Udi would be proud of us right now. That's right. <laughs> so now we're going into the orderverse. Here's what it actually looks like when you're running the ordinal software. Each single Satoshi now has a unique face value. And we're using playing cards here for those at home on an audio. Um, the first time I went through this, I had all the cards face down because they're fully fungible. The protocol knows no knowledge of anything. But now, if I want to send you a transaction with ordinals, you can actually see each of these cards has a different value. I have a joker, a queen, a 10, an eight, a five, and a four. And let's say I have my six Satoshis here, and I'm not going to send you one, two, three. I'm going to keep these two for change, mm -hmm. and this one goes off as a miner's fee. Okay. So this is how the ordinal software looks. It goes throughout the entire blockchain's history, and when you run the ordinal software, you actually get to put on these magical sunglasses and you're able to actually see the individual numbers. But to everyone else who's not using the ordinal software, this is all invisible. It just looks like face down cards. Okay, and does it work? Because when you make, when you do that send, it sequentially knows those. And, yes. say, and say with these. Yeah, these are now yours. Yeah, those three are now yours. These three are mine. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to send, say, one Satoshi to Danny. Yep. It always, that's always the first one. Yes. So this is called first in, first out, FIFO. Right. And, okay. that's, and that's how it can keep then, track. Right. That makes sense. I understand now. Yeah. Okay. So first in, first out. So this is just straight ordinals. We haven't talked about JPEGs. We haven't talked about, you know, any of the dick crazy butts. data stuff. No dick butts yet. We're going to be getting there soon. But this is actually where, if you'd like, I can talk about what that actually is. Okay. So do I need to keep these on? Well, if you want to see the orderverse. Okay. It's okay, we can go back to the normal world if you want. No, that's fine. Okay. So when you have all of these uh, transactions, you're able to do things like embed data. So everything we've talked to up to this point is an ordinal. Just the number order. Oh, we oh, haven't oh, done oh, anything. Can I go yet. back a step? Please do. When I've sent, so say I've sent you half a Bitcoin, mm -hmm. does it really just know which is the first one and the last one? And it's making an assumption on the ones in between. No, it actually, because as you go further and further throughout the history of the blockchain, and you have people sending one or like half a one or quarter one, they start breaking up into chunks. Yeah, but what I'm saying, before it breaks, mm -hmm. does it only know the first and the last? Is it saying in there I've got one to 50 no, million or something? It, it, it every single transaction has its own mix. So I could send you a Bitcoin transaction right now. And some of them, and, and before I even talk about the inscriptions, this is really interesting. You can actually start seeing, 
oh, I just sent you one Bitcoin. Maybe like 10 million sats, like 10% of that are coins that are from this year. Came from a miner early this year. They're freshly minted coins. Uh, some of them, though, in the middle of that stack could be from 2009. Mm -hmm. Right? You can actually have, uh, you may even have a rare ordinal. So there's actually... We're going to come to that. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that. So uh, what's really interesting is when you start ordering things, you start getting some interesting things. Like maybe every, all of the sats, a regular one is common because they're very widely available. An uncommon Satoshi, though, may be one that is the first Satoshi found in a block. Hold on, I want to go back one step. Sure. Sorry. Please, if yeah. I send one sat, mm -hmm. we know that that one sat, what its number is. Yep. But, and the ordinal knows which one. Yep. But when I send half a Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and there's 50 million sats in there, mm -hmm. does the software itself create those 50 million sats and therefore number them? The it creates the numbering, but the numbers are not. I don't know like that. How does it? But because when the I'll, Bitcoin yes. transaction sends, the Bitcoin software doesn't recognize each sat individually. Yep, it, it does. No, no, no. Well, it does in the sense that it makes sure that your outputs look like your inputs. Make sure you're not printing extra money. But but it doesn't identify each sat separately. So surely mm -hmm. the ordinal software only knows that it only can identify the first and the last one. No, it's actually uh, not true. So the way the ordinal software works when you download it and you run it, it starts at the first Genesis block all the way to present, and it's numbering every single one as it comes into existence from the miners. Yes, in the software, right? In the software. Yeah, in the software. So it's creating them there. Yep. But the only, t but really, what it's really doing is, it, it, to me, it has to be a hack. It, when it's doing it, it's like, I know that's, I know that's 50 Bitcoin, and I know the first set and the last set, but I don't know the in-between ones. I, I create them my end, and I know them at the point they get so, split up. So if it's fresh from a miner, they are all the same sequential number. But over time, it's kind of like breaking change. You, uh, you know, if I give you a $100 bill and you give me back five 20s, and then I go and give one of those 20s to like the gas station for something. Yeah. I've now broken the order of those. So that person maybe have... No, if you give me five $20 bills and it's bill one, two, three, four, five, I give bill number two out of my pocket to someone, uh, you know, and then that person spends that number two and it goes off somewhere. I now have one, you know, I, it, it breaks up like that. So it's not always a, I have one Bitcoin, it must be from zero to 100 million. No, no, I get that. But what okay. I'm saying is at the point where the ordinal software goes, right, here, here is uh, one Bitcoin, mm -hmm. here's 100 million sats. Yep. It can definitely it can definitely know individual sats, yes. like identify them yes. at an individual basis. But what it has to do is says, I know there's a hundred million sats here. Yeah, and then it, I'm going to number them. But it can only it can only actually truly identify an individual sat at the point it's been broken up. The serial number is assigned when it gets mined in a block. Yeah, right. So that's when it initially is given its serial number, if you want to call it that, for like the U.S. like the dollar example. Yeah, that's when it gets made, and then it just follows it across time. Hmm. That's what it's doing going forward. So do, you, do you understand what I'm saying here, don't I? Yeah. Um, I'm I don't, a little confused. I, I'm a little confused as well, to be honest. Well, yeah, I don't I'm, know what you're getting at. What I'm saying is if I send you one sat, yep. it, the ordinal knows that that sat and that, what that individual number is. Hmm. If I send you 10 sats, how does it know the in-between ones? Because Bitcoin software doesn't separate the, the sats. The ordinal software does. Yes, but it, but it has to be an assumption... It makes an assumption yeah. with this first in, first out accounting yes. method. Yep. Yeah. Now you get it. I think I think we're on the same page now. Yeah. Do you we understand got there. what I'm saying? I think we got there. Yeah. Danny? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
I feel like I'm asking a good question here. Maybe it's do, do you need to take off the magic <laughs> articles? We can, we, do you want to take them off? Leave the orderverse for a bit? No, so what I'm trying to understand is what is Bitcoin software? What is other software? And how relevant it is to Bitcoin? Sure. Because if this software is saying these are individual sats and it's given them like identifiers, but those if the Bitcoin software doesn't actually identify individual sats, then this is just a different piece of software making its own assumptions. It is a different piece of software making its own assumptions. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's okay. a shared hallucination. Yes. We're all agreeing on this together. Okay. Yep. We're good. Exactly. <laughs> all right. 45 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> so very quickly, just on the ordinal side, before talking about the JPEGs, you can have, oh, this is the first Satoshi that was mined in a given block. That's maybe uncommon, right? And then you can have, oh, I have the first Satoshi that came after a difficulty adjustment. That only happens once every two weeks. That's you know more rare. And then you can have ones the first Satoshi after a new halving. Yeah. Right. And this is. And that's like people who collect banknotes with serial numbers. On yeah. Them. And uh, I was listening to uh, a, a podcast, uh, Bitcoin.review with Reindahl and Rodolfo, MBK and Casey. And they were talking about like, you know, people are natural, a lot of people in Bitcoin are just natural collectors. So maybe you want to collect some, some Satoshis from every single exchange hack, right? Quadriga, Bitfinex. Like you can start. Since you know where in the hack happened, you know all of the individual serial numbers that were involved in that hack, maybe you want to collect that, right? Maybe I want to collect a, a couple of Satoshis for my wedding day, right? You can find little fun things that you can use to like commemorate occasions and you're applying this new shared hallucination to be able to collect, you know, different Satoshis that have value to you uniquely. Yeah, so I bought a, a print by a Russian artist. Uh, there was, it's limited to 50. I knew the distributor, so I asked for number one because number one is always the most popular. It's always worth more. Right. Yeah, or it's like first edition prints of books. But or... but it's the but all the prints are the same. But exactly this one's the, the first same. serial number. Exactly. Yeah, it literally says one of fifty on it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's you know it's arbitrary because the art is identical. It's the uh, serial number on top of it that people assign more value to. Okay, so so you could argue there's a net negative if people start hoarding satoshis based on numbers because we want this to be money. I mean, I think I would reject the term hoarding. What are, what are you when you're hodling Bitcoin? Uh, you are holding to spend in the future yeah. to make use of it. But when you're hoarding, you may never make use of it. Well, I think there's a couple of things I have thoughts on that. So one, I, I think holding it and then maybe eventually passing it down to your ch child or like selling it off in a collection later, it may not be in the literal sense of I'm going to use this to go buy, you know, you know, groceries, but it's still legitimate use case in that, you know, it's my property, I'm going to hold on to it. And by by restricting more people hold on to it. This is the whole idea around you want to hold it and then there's less available supply and the price goes up. So it, you know, this is part of, you know, hoarding as a term. Uh, I mean, that's part of the whole number go up thesis. Yeah. But I'm not a huge number go up thesis guy anymore anyway. Cause I'm like my view on Bitcoin. When I talk about Bitcoin, I did a presentation on the football club the other day mm -hmm. and I was like, Bitcoin is the best money that's yeah. ever existed. Yeah. So therefore there's a trade-off here between does this make this the best form of money or are there some selfish incentives that that could slightly make it less great money? And I think giving people a reason to hold certain Satoshis and hoard them, and I will use the term hoard them, I think is a selfish decision, it's a personal decision, selfish, yeah. that works against Bitcoin being the best form of money. Well, I think the desire to hold Bitcoin helps with it being the best form of money because this is like Gresham's law. If I have bad money, I want to get rid of the bad money and hold on to the good money. Yeah, but the reason to hold it is different now. It's it's because some superficial well, human reason 
but it's not about best money. But when people collect special coins, does that ruin the dollar as a form of money? The dollar's already ruined. It's shit money already. But that's not the point. Like I'm saying like... If but it, you, if but you, it is the point because what I'm saying is we're trying to create the best form of money. So this is actually, I think, an even further zoom out. Uh, Bitcoin exists. Mm-hmm. Any sort of moralistic lens of perspectives of like what it should be doing is a conversation. But Bitcoin works as this anarchic system where there's no one in control and everyone gets to use it however they want. And if, people, if people can't do that, the project fails. No, no, I, I completely agree. But what I'm saying, I'm just saying is if... Just yeah, you know, like my empathetic side is: sure. Are we trying to create the best form of money that ever existed? Do we make it less good by giving people to hoard it, which has nothing to do with money and purely to do with superficial human reasons? I don't think that's a bad thing. In that, like, people are going to use it for whatever they want to need to. And I think this is a very important point that I think the stuff that's going on with ordinals right now, whether it's a flash in the pan and no one's care. Well, one, I have some thoughts on that. Bitcoin, like ordinals in general, I think or it, it's almost a change of the guard from a narrative element in Bitcoin. Bitcoin will still be sound money. It will be still something we all talk about as a good, strong form of money. But ordinals is changing the narrative of what it is to be using Bitcoin and what is Bitcoin for. And I think this is something that we're seeing kind of a seat change of narrative right now on how people use and think about Bitcoin. I, I'm still, we're seeing a debate. I think the I don't think it's a narrative. I, I don't think it's settled yet. As, as somebody, because like I'm, I can step outside of this as somebody sure. who doesn't give a fuck either way. Yep. I'm, and I do not think this is a settled dis- debate. And I, and the reason I don't think it's settled is I put a question out yesterday on Twitter about it, and the same one out on Nostra, and I got very different replies on Nostra. Yep. On um, on Twitter, it was very much like, yeah, this is great, with some negatives. On Nostra, it's very much this is fucking stupid. With a few positives, well, so it's it, it, it settled. It, it, it's far from settled. I think this is what I mean, though, by a narrative change, because the people that are there are, you know, classes of 2017, 2018, um, maybe even earlier too. I mean, there's a lot of older, like old school Bitcoiners on there, but they have this sound money primacy thesis about what Bitcoin is supposed to be. And the reality is that the people that are using it now for inscriptions and uh, JPEGs and all the silly collecting stuff. They're part of Bitcoin. They're using Bitcoin. They're following the rules of Bitcoin, and they're here to stay. But Bitcoin evolves and changes. Yeah, exists. Yeah, I think this is part of Bitcoin's evolution, and we have to kind of, from my perspective, I actually personally would love to have smaller blocks. I'm never going to have smaller blocks, but that's just my wish list. We now live in a world, though, where these are valid Bitcoin transactions. We can't uh, censor or remove them. They're following the rules of Bitcoin, so we have to live to exist with them. So rather than um, seething and you know coping, just accepting that this is the current state of play. We had a block size increase during SegWit in 2017, and then BIP 342, which was part of Taproot, removed the script size limit, which is why you're getting these very large transactions now that are being embedded. And you can't undo those changes easily, so we have to accept this is the new state of play. And this is what I mean by a narrative shift. Because people, like you said, like people are having fun with Bitcoin, playing around with it, and it has nothing to do with money. People are touching and playing with Bitcoin now with no care for the digital gold thesis. They have no care for, you know, like, you know, sound money as a narrative. They're having fun doing art collections and JPEGs and being irreverent and making silly memes on the blockchain. And it's just like, they're here now, you can't kick them out. And I think this is part of that narrative seat change. This show is brought to you by Casa. Now, whether you've bought your first sats or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person that should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. 
And securing your Bitcoin, it doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it super easy. And getting started is simple. Just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need assistance, it's only a phone call away. And Cars has the best in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. And I have been using Casa. I've been using their multi-sig for two years now. I absolutely love it. Now, it is time for you to take financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin. But again, I'm only buying right now. We're hodlers. We've seen the bottom of the market. We're seeing this through, right? Now, I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Also today, we have Wasabi, who I am using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, with the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You do also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There's also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there's no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking a lot more seriously recently, and with Wasabi 2.0, this is so much easier. So if you want to find out more about this, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Well, two points on that. Firstly, there are people who are definitely pro-NFTs on Bitcoin who are definitely mocking the Ethereum people for NFTs a year ago. People have flipped their perspective on this for a selfish reason because they think it's good for them, right? And then they mock people. It's it's a hypocritical position to take, you know. Fine, but it's a hypocritical position to take. I value their opinion less because I think their actions are more based around personal number go up sure. than wider uh, adoption and benefit of sound money for a wider community. Like yesterday, we, we were making our show about... We've been we're doing a new three part beginner's guide, really simple one. Yep. And one of the questions we said is like we talked about why Bitcoin's good money and why it benefits people. Yep. Well, let's diff- now let's look how it's maybe different for people in the developing world because they have a different use case. Sure. And so, you know, I'm beyond the number go up now. I don't care anymore. I care about the uh, the widespread adoption of Bitcoin that benefits people's lives. Mm-hmm. So. The, the point I'm trying to get to is I'm not trying to be combative. I've not taken a position. I'm, I would argue the whatever side you take, I would argue the other side. So if we're trying to create sound money, if we're trying to create the best form of money, I have to at least kind of push back against this. And when you say it's here and we have to accept it, is that 100% true? This cannot be undone. There's no technical way to undo this. I mean, you can fork off. 
No, no. Can it be done without a hard fork? It can be done with a hard fork. You, what you would need to do though without is- Without a hard fork. Without one. You yeah. would have to have all of the miners agreed not to touch this stuff anymore. But the miners are now getting transaction fees. Well, so you don't always just have to have the miners. No 2x pr proved that. Sure. Okay. And what I'm saying is, therefore, the, the, what, the point I'm trying to get to is, I'm not trying to argue against you and have the debate right now. What yeah. I'm trying to say, the debate, debate isn't settled. The debate might go on. If it got to the point, it may get to a point where there is a debate about, actually, is this good for Bitcoin or not? And if it isn't, is there a way of getting rid of it? And will people get rid of it? Yeah, so the way you could get rid of it is if you had a bunch of um, users come together, a, do a user-activated software can say, we are going to censor and not acknowledge the existence of any ordinal inscriptions. Which we can fully... It, it, could, it could be done. Which, Here's, which, which is exactly what happened during the block size wars and largely contributed to the failure of the hard fork. Yeah, but again, we, we, we should walk through this for a moment then. Okay. You have um, a coalition of people who want to ban this. One, um, this, I was talking to Pete Rizzo about this. He calls this the DGEN's paradox. I think we have to be careful with language here. Because you, you're saying ban this, I'd, and that, that it's, it's in, instantly like a pejorative. When actually, it's, yeah, I think some people out there want the best, soundest form of money. Sure. And they think this is yeah. a neg like a net negative. I understand and, and sympathize with the idea of that. Yeah. But again, okay, so how are you going to do it? If, if you're not going to have, if you want to have the users put forward a change, your option is to fork this behavior out of the network, which means I will not recognize any ordinal transaction at all. That then means, though, you would have a, the moment a block was mined that had ordinals, and you pick a block height saying at block height a million, we're going to no longer do ordinals. If that block has ordinals in it, you have a fork in the network now. You have people who decided to break off from the network and not recognize ordinals exist, and you have people who decided that they wanted to stay. And now you have a, a fork, just like you had with Bcash, mm -hmm. right? So now you have to understand, like, how committed are you to this? And this well, is this yeah. is this is me coming from a sense of acceptance of I'm not trying to change consensus. And this well, is the or, the ordinal stuff is not breaking technical consensus of the code. I know, but I think I th I think you're more likely to see a social campaign first. Sure, but but there's not enough demand there because mm -hmm. the miners like you you need more than just the users. You need the miners to cooperate with that. So then you need miners to act against their own interest and have lower transaction fees to make this work. Maybe you offset it by making a smaller block size. If there's a smaller block size, there's more, there's less space to get into the next block so transaction fees go up. So maybe that offsets it. But that would have to be a hard fork. Uh, would that have to be a yeah, hard fork? it has fork? to be a hard fork. No, you can have users all opted and say... Um, I'm, I'm more certain, because I discussed this with Luke Dasher, that because he wants 300k block sizes, and I'm pretty sure the only way you can do that is a hard fork. Well, you could have all miners agree just not to publish blocks that are over 300 kilobytes. And that, and then that's just like a, it's a user behavior. It's not actually changing any lines of code. If all of the miners agreed, hey, we're not going to make a block anymore that's over 300 kilobytes, you could do it, but you need all the miners to agree to it. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. If you want to make it a rule, it has to be a fork. Yeah, I just don't see that that one happening. But I agree. And then that's, I'm coming from a place of acceptance that Casey put a lot of thought into the design of this to do it within the design space and rules of Bitcoin. Yeah. And because of that, if you don't like it, you are the one that's changing the rules of Bitcoin. And this is where you're like when there's an application of like moral or social narratives on top of the technical code of Bitcoin, that's when you're like, well, is this good for the sound money thesis? And it's like, well, the sound money thesis is not literally in the code as in this must be the primacy use case of Bitcoin. We apply narratives and say, well, there's certain characteristics of Bitcoin 
the limited supply, the controlled issuance, the difficulty adjustment that benefited a sound money, but there's nothing in the code that says it must be sound money. No, but like for some people, I imagine this is a like a really important yeah. point, like on a maybe ethical level for them. Sure. You know, when when Rosa Parks sat at the back of the bus or the front of the bus, I can't remember the, what were the rules. Front, front of, the, of the, bus. the bus. Front of the bus. Yeah, she broke the laws of society because. Yep. And when I bought cannabis oil for my mum, I broke the laws because I thought it was the right thing to do. Right. Some people may see this as like this is we're trying to bring sound money and this this might be a net negative. But we're talking about the actual changing of the rules of the code. Block, like the Bitcoin blockchain works because we all agree on consensus. Of course. If you change consensus, that's a very scary place to be and you will cause a fork if there's a disagreement. The only reason why we don't oh, have no, forks in Bitcoin is like like. But that's why I'm saying social right. campaign first. Sure. I'm saying it's, all I'm saying is I don't think this is settled. I think there's too much support from all of the miners many of the users, there is a small subset of users right now who believe in the general world of Bitcoin that would want to actually have a fork. Because a fork is a very serious, is putting your skin in the game, money on the table saying, I am going to, after the fork happens, I'm going to sell the other forks coins, mm. right? So if you have ordinal free, ordinal disrespector, and ordinal respecter, you have the base chain right now. Oh, I think the ordinal or one wins right now. Of, but I think it's purely selfish. Well, Bitcoin works because everyone has their own selfish motivations. No one's altruistically acting within Bitcoin, the code itself. We have agents like you who believe in things like, you know, bringing better money to the developing world. But that's you individually. That's not the Bitcoin code doing that, right? Mm. And I think that's, you know, this is just kind of the messy thing. It's rough consensus. It's messy. It's sloppy. And like, it's a very serious thing if you're going to change it. And I think Bitcoin works because everyone is selfishly motivated. If it required an altruistic lens, it would require... Uh, external maintenance of like uh, to to keep it going and the project would fail. Bitcoin I, works I, because everyone is selfish. Hold on, I think we've got to where we are over 13, 14 years of Bitcoin because of altruism. I mean, in what way? I mean, a lot of people have had to make sacrifices to work and build Bitcoin, develop Bitcoin. I mean, and anyone who took a job or worked on Bitcoin Core instead of taking a high paid salary at Google, that was an altruistic action to create better sound money. I think people just find it as an interesting software project. They may not necessarily, they're not, you know, I don't think people in like 2010 were like, I'm going to work on this to be able to get sound money to the world. They found it as an incredibly unique software project to work on. There may be some people who do that as well. There, there is definitely altruistic work with Bitcoin. When you make a donation to a developer, that's altruistic work. Yeah. I, I donated to Luke Dasher yeah. and those coins did not move until the day of his hack. <laughs> they literally sat there in a UTXO and then I heard he got hacked and I went and looked at my old addresses. I yeah. just I just so think I'm, you're wrong saying there's no altruism in Bitcoin. I the think the code itself, the, the protocol moves forward without requiring altruism. The protocol exists because of greed. Miners are not mining out of the goodness of their heart. They may have business decisions and reasons where they may mine unprofitably for a certain period of time because they believe in a longer thesis of Bitcoin. But no one's like, that's not like the miners propagate each new block out of their own selfish interest because they're able to make a profit. I hold on to Bitcoin because I have a selfish belief that it's going to be worth more in the future and it's going to be able to help me provide for my family. Hmm. We all, in our, and this is where like Bitcoin is an anarchic system. We each have our own senses and motivations, but it's all out of our own perception of what we want. There's no sort of com ethical committee of Bitcoin saying, ah, well, you know, we haven't done enough, you know, allocation of like, you know, resources over here. We need to deploy stuff over here, right? There is no governing body that's deciding like the moral ethical code of how Bitcoin should work. Yeah, I'm just personally much less in that camp of, 
being you know, my actions within Bitcoin being selfishly based. I'm much more now focused on how we get this out to the people who really need it. And my only concern on ordinals is that are they a net positive or a net neg- negative for having good sound money for the world? I don't know the answer to that. Well, now. I think if you also look at it, um, I think there's projects like Fediments and Lightning that are able to provide scaling layers and access to Bitcoin in different ways that don't have to interact on the base chain. Bitcoin block space is a limited, scarce resource. It's open, anyone can use it, but it's limited. It's something in the neighborhood, if you wanted to get every single person in the world on Lightning, it'd be like seven years to do that. And that's only if you did channel opens, right? No, I'm not sending you money. You know, we're not doing any sort of Bitcoin transaction. So Bitcoin necessarily was always going to come to a place at some point where the block space was going to be full and layer one transactions were going to become expensive. It was the only way Bitcoin as a project was going to survive as the mining subsidy gets halved and halved and halved. You need to have, this is what people used to joke about the mining death spiral that like, oh, you know, 15 years from now, you're going to earn like, you know, half a Bitcoin in a block. And all of a sudden now it's not enough money to actually subsidize the miners. You needed a robust fee market for Bitcoin to work in the long run. It was necessary. And I think what happened with ordinals is it pushed that up way faster than anyone expected. The mempool may never clear again. So the mempool being this kind of the, where all the unconfirmed transactions sit, you used to, you know, three weeks ago, you'd be able to like, you know, get in next block, pay one sat for revivite, which meant you paid maybe five cents for a million dollar transaction. Those days are over. And there's an interesting- Very, very high, high time preference there. Right, right. But if you, wanted, if you wanted to clear faster, you would be able to do now like things like you know 10 or five stats for Revive, depending on what time of day it is. What's really interesting is that the financial transactions on Bitcoin are much more economically dense than the ordinal stuff. And that if I want to send you a million dollars, it's a very small bit of data. If I want to put a 400 kilobyte JPEG, that's a lot more data and I have to pay for that fees. And I have to compete with you sending me sending you a million dollars for 25 cents, they have to compete with that and pay full freight um, on the transaction size. There's, there is the SegWit discount we can talk about, but we haven't even talked about inscriptions yet. Yeah, I know. Sorry, just this stuff's really important. So we're very early in people using uh, the Bitcoin blockchain for uh, JPEGs. Yep. Probably the volume's quite low. There's been 100,000 of them made in the okay. past three weeks. What if there were millions? What actually happens at that point? We'll give it a couple months, but uh, what but, happens at that but, point? But can we get to the point where some people you know, can't even afford to open a, a, a lightning channel? I mean, what do you mean by they can't? Well, it gets, it's become so well, expensive. So say you're some like dude in Africa who's mm-hmm. got like 50 bucks of Bitcoin, you well, just and transaction fees are 50 bucks. Well, yeah, but this is where... Fediments come in and also using custodial lightning services like or using kind of like the good money where you have the Bitcoin beach where they have the one node that runs it for the whole town, right? You're going to yeah. have to have scaling solutions like that because each individual person was never going to be able to use Bitcoin's blockchain on the base layer. So I'm not a fan of Fediment, by the way. Okay. I'm really struggling with Fediment because it sounds like to me we're undoing all the good things we've said about not your keys, not your Bitcoin. I've just really struggled with it. Well, this is this is an interesting conversation about scaling. Genuinely, this is, this is actually kind of an artifact of the block size work because the big blocker said, I want to be able to have every single transaction freely available so anyone in the world can pay very low transaction fees. And the other side of that said, we can't scale to a global money in store every single time you're buying a cup of coffee for 8 billion people around the world. So this was part of the necessary trade-offs of the fork wars. You were not going to be able to have everyone interact with cheap base chain Bitcoin. And this is what I mean about ordinals is permanently changing how we view and think about Bitcoin. And this is a seed change narrative from the sound money narrative 
to whatever this new era is, because the blocks are now full, transaction block space is now being aggressively bid by people using it for non-monetary use cases. It's going to take years for us to fully wrap our mind around what does that look like from a Bitcoin security use case and narrative and how we sell it to others. It was just necessarily always going to happen. I think a lot of people thought it may have been five to 10 years from now, and it's just happening today. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep going. We can keep going. Yeah. So uh, the next step. By the way, yeah. I might even be pro ordinals. Yeah. I, I, I'm just, I'm trying to wrestle with it. I'm I'm just at a place of acceptance that this is all Bitcoin technical consensus and I am not going to fork off the network. So I have to live in a world where these exist. That's where I'm coming down on it. There's okay. no, you can't put this back in the box. I'm not going to run an or disrespector node because it's futile because all you need is the miners to continue including these and, you know, somewhere around 15 to 20% of nodes not running that. And, it, and it's going to work anyway. Right, people may want to like individually delete some data off their own nodes because they don't want to hold the JPEGs. The problem then is then is you're not validating the whole transaction history because you need to have all of that data sitting there to make sure it's a valid transaction. Is there a scenario here where we potentially bloat in the blockchain within the rules, but to the point where the hardware requirements to run in a node become a little bit more challenging? Well, yeah, we're going to probably start requiring like a two terabyte hard drive instead of a one terabyte hard drive. That's do, not. Do we know how quickly that might happen? Well, is that about 550 megabytes a day? I mean, you've lost me. Four times 144 blocks in a day is half a gig a day yeah. times a year. That's, you know, um, 210 gigs a year. So every if, if every block was max full, that's 210 gigs per year. Okay, so every four years, another terabyte. Yeah. But that's pretty significant when we're at like 500 gig after 14 years or whatever. It's yeah, I think it's around like 650 or 700 right now. But yeah, it's... The, so, in, here's so, the, so, in eight, so in another eight years, people might need a multiple terabyte drive. Yes. and But this is also where I think the actual real problem here was the block size increase with SegWit. Which we don't have to get too technical into the details. This was seen as a compromise. Gave it, us too much. Again, and now we have four megabyte blocks. If you use a lot of witness data, which is exactly what ordinals do. So to try and bring this to the actual JPEG stuff. Hold on, we shouldn't just skip over the fact that every four years people are going to need another terabyte for their hard drive. And you know, and you may be in a scenario where people have got one terabyte at the moment. We're at five hundred gig, and they knew they were pretty good for a few more years. And now in two years, they're not. And then we, this might lead to a lower node count. Yeah. So, well, one, um, people are saying in Ordinal's uh, community that uh, not your node, not your JPEG. So if you actually want to hold on to your JPEG, you need to have a node, right? Because that's where the data is being stored. Uh, additionally, I think the happy path, if you were trying to find some sort of brokering between the people who don't like Ordinal's and the people that are enjoying Ordinal's, is a block size decrease. I think that's the way you would be able to bridge camps and being able to the ordinals will continue to exist, but we're not going to block the blo uh, we're not going to bloat the blockchain as much with extra data. I don't. I, it gets tricky then because then if you if you do that, um, large ordinals, if people are trading these for value, they get kind of grandfathered in before the rules change, so they become worth more. So this is like the degen paradox. P. Rizzo was talking about like if you try to change this behavior, you're going to increase the speculative people that are trying to mint these before they get removed. Yeah, and then you know my question would be, well, what? You know, now JPEGs, what next? Contracts, like all kinds of things could end up. This is fascinating, yeah. Yeah, which is like is interesting because it's like you know, permanently etched in the Bitcoin blockchain, these things that people want to put in there. You know, one of the, you know, could we find ourselves in, so let, let's go down a like a different scenario. Okay, it started to get bloat, started to get really, really full. 
things aren't getting in and then there's a new block size increase debate. It's like, do we now need to go to eight megabytes? Potentially discussion. And then how how long do we get to a scenario where we start struggling with things like Ethereum has, where we have latency issues? I don't think we're getting a block size increase. I think what's going to happen is... You, you don't, but think about it like this. You know, I'm just mapping a potential scenario. The people we had on the podcast four years ago if we have them on now, some of those people, they don't get a lot of listens, a lot of downloads. The, the audience has changed. Sure. Imagine we bring in hundreds of thousands, millions of new users, DJs who love JPEGs. Imagine the miners start loving it. Imagine everyone starts thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a big consensus starts, a social consensus. Yeah, let's increase the size so, of the, bear with me, increase the size of the blockchain. And the old, less influential people who were always from the same set of principles, you know, their voice gets edged out. And this newer group starts to be quite dominating. What if we do go to 18 and 16? What if we do start to make some of the mistakes of Ethereum because we push so hard for this and everything's changed so hard that we forgot the original principles? I'm just saying it's a potential scenario. Understood. And then we don't have nodes. We have people who are struggling to create nodes. We have Eric Wall doing Twitter threads on how he tried to create a node for Bitcoin, but he couldn't. We go to data centers. We centralize. I think these are the necessary uh, coalitions across Bitcoin that have to kind of remain vigilant. And I would say that um, the best way to price out all of the JPEGs is more base chain economic activity in Bitcoin for financial use cases because they're much denser. Your 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 fees go much further. I can send you a million dollars for 25 cents or I can spend several hundred dollars for a JPEG. Right? It's going to take time to get there though. Take time to get to where? Like more dense economic transactions. More we people using Bitcoin. Yeah. You can't but, force them. But no, you can't force it. And this is back to Bitcoin not having any rules, right? I, I think that for, at, at this high level, we're, we're just starting to kind of draw the lines of what this future space could look like. And for me, uh, I still, I think there's, there's, even if you have a bunch of people coming in and they're printing JPEGs and they want more of them, it, it gets prohibitively expensive as the fees increase. So as more people start putting, trying to put JPEGs on the blockchain, the, the fees go up and it gets harder and harder and harder to justify spending $500, you know, $10,000. As the Bitcoin price goes up and as the more demand is in there, you're going to price out a lot of the JPEGs and you're going to have to be a lot more deliberate if you're going to do this stuff. And to your point earlier, it's more than just JPEGs. People are actually writing code and putting it in the blockchain as well. Someone made an ordinal inscription, that's the JPEG stuff, which we will get to, uh, they specifically uh, wrote code that allows you to view inscriptions within the inscription. So they're writing code now that can actually interact with the other inscriptions. And I think you're going to start having people understanding and playing around. Like, what is it actually to use this tech for not just pictures? I think pictures are just the easiest thing because it's what everyone already knows from the rest of crypto. But there's a really interesting opportunity now that this exists. What are other use cases? And I also want to just call it a really important point for one of Casey's big motivations for starting this project was people were buying JPEGs on Ethereum and users were being duped. They were buying the hash. They were buying a hash to a pointer sitting to an S3 server yeah. or something like Arweave, which is its own token that um, has design flaws because once the token falls below the price of cost of storage, people just turn off their, their Arweave nodes and then the nodes disappear. It's like BitTorrent, right? This is a real NFT. So this is a real NFT. So for Casey's perspective, an inscription, which is this actual embedding of data on the blockchain, has to be endogenous to Bitcoin. The data has to sit there. Because people are now saying, oh, what if I wrap my own token and I use the 
ordinal stuff and I point it off to this other chain over here. It's not an inscription, right? You're, you're trying to uh, make pointers and references that don't exist on Bitcoin, and that's out of bounds. Casey doesn't want to support that. Most people don't want to support that. You know, it, it has to be endogenous to Bitcoin so I can download a node and have it. And this is an interesting yeah, use case. Can, so can you stop somebody doing it? You know, well, you, you never can stop someone from doing it. It's just kind of going to be, this is all social consent. Just like ordinals are all just a shared hallucination, these rules of like, what are the rules are, are all shared. But also, people are talking about now uploading like 3D gun files into a block. You can get that under four megabytes. You can actually have it so anyone in the world can have access to a 3D gun print. Is that a potential cell phone that we're, we're, we're asking for trouble? Well, here's the other thing, too, from a Bitcoin history lesson. People have been able to embed arbitrary data into Bitcoin since it began. Yeah, but specific- we're making, it's a little bit more overt now. It, well, I mean, you're making maybe the barrier to threshold to enter easier, but ultimately this stuff always existed. People were using stuff in op returns. People were putting stuff in bare multisig. So they would make a multisig transaction on chain, but the keys were garbage. They were just using it to punch, pump, pump a bunch of data in there. Right? Has anyone put any child porn in this yet? I've so not on the ordinal stuff that I'm aware of. I've heard stories that years ago, like 2013, 14, or something, someone may have done that. Uh, I didn't personally go to verify that and look for it. Yeah. So like, why you don't want to do that? Right. But like, is that again a potential risk? I mean, it in the sense it's a risk that it's now on a node, and this is what everyone's been saying that because it's on a node, then it becomes legal to run a node because it has child porn on it. So yeah. this is where I would say that. It's not like the literal JPEG is sitting there. So it, can I use this as an opportunity to talk about yeah. envelopes and inscriptions? So the way this actually works technically is you do a taproot transaction. And with this taproot transaction, Bitcoin, you use Bitcoin's programming language called Bitcoin Script. And you actually, uh, you do your, your, your send. And then you add extra data with something uh, op false, I mean, not true, op if. And Op if says, if the previous statement is true, run this code. But since it's op false, op if, your node skips over it entirely. It doesn't try to validate it because it's garbage data. And then you push a bunch of binary data onto the chain. So it's not like you literally have the image sitting there. It's in a very obscure format that isn't directly accessible. It's not like I can go to my Bitcoin folder and like see the images that exist. So how do you see the images? You would have to run extra software to actually parse through all of the this binary zeros and ones to make it look but like an isn't image. Isn't that just what computers do? They pass information to display a JPEG. Yeah, I mean, computers parse information, but my point being is that um, if you just run a Bitcoin node and you're just using it for financial transactions, that just looks like zeros and ones and you're never actually interfacing or interacting but with it. If I had this on my home computer, isn't it the same until I plug a monitor in? Like, if, I, if, my, if my hard drive was found with child porn on, not saying I have child porn, by the way, but if my hard drive said I have child porn in it, but I've had no monitor plugged in, isn't that exactly the same? I don't think... Because, like, the file exists somewhere on your computer? I'm saying all it is, all the file is, is a bunch of ones and zeros itself. It's a computer that interprets it on a monitor. But to you, be an instru- image. you instruct the computer to interpret that by switching it on and opening it up. But it, the, the, the ones and zeros still exist. Yeah, I think this is going to be something that is going to get fleshed out a bit more. I think I'm just thinking. It, uh, my point being, though, that this already was available in on Bitcoin, and I understand your point that it's now. more accessible. Yeah, I what, understand what, that. But what about the? But this York, is not a this is not a new threat vector. This is already something that was there. Yeah, but now it's more real. What if we have New York Times, Bitcoin blockchain, the new home for pedophiles? 
You mean the journalists are going to keep being like disingenuous yeah. with yeah. their narratives? Com yeah. Well, I, this is just part of, you know, we're, we're Bitcoin is a movement to change the world's money like in a very real sense. Yes. Right. It is. It's yeah. a movement to change the world's money, not to change the world's art and JPEGs. Yeah, it is. But my point being, it's an open pool and I'm not the lifeguard setting the rules. So if people are going to use it for those use cases, I can't stop them from using no, it I because Bitcoin is an anarchic system. I can't touch it. No, like, I understand. I yeah. just feel it. I just feel sad I think, about it. I, I think it's something that we have to accept and kind of understand what the future state is because the, the cat's out of the box. Like, like the cat's out of the bag. But we can't change this. What if it wasn't a JPEG? It was like a WikiLeaks file that's then immutable. What's your point? Like there, are, there's like stupid use cases and maybe more interesting use cases. No, my point being is, are, are we now creating a place for self-own, a place for people to attack the network, to spam it with stuff, to put stuff well, that's not particularly like like we guns are illegal in the UK. If we now it's a place where you can download, you know, three uh, um, D printed gun things. I'm just saying, there's lots. Of, there you go. There you go. I yes. mean, this was from a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. But, but this what, is my point, you know. But like, also, I disagree with the word spam. If you pay the transaction fee, you're participating in the rules of the network. So be it. It's not yeah, spam. Satoshi dies played by the rules, but it was yep. considered spam. And people, it, people considered it spam. They were valid transactions, though. Of course, I get that. But you know, we can post rationalize anything by saying that. But at the same time, if we're trying to create the best money for the world, if we're trying to create a political money that makes the world a better place. I'm just not a hundred percent sure this is a net positive without a net negative. It feels like it's just swinging to the net negative for me, but I'm not anti it yet. Yeah, I, I think it's net negative when you view it in the lens of the the money narrative. Yeah, and that's my the thing. I'm but, and that's and Bitcoin is a many. It's like a hydra, a many headed dragon of many things because money. Bitcoin's information that we use is money. I mean, I consider it when I'm. The, the work I do is to communicate and educate people on why Bitcoin is the best money. But this is what I mean by it being a narrative change. Because this is a necessary narrative change in how everyone's going to think and talk about Bitcoin. Why is it necessary narrative change? It's just a, well, I think it's well, actually. Ne ne necess you know necessary is the wrong word because it just, like, I think this is the kind of like the impasse we have is that I'm making an observation of how it exists and you're looking at it through a lens of, it, it's an is-ought problem. I'm saying this is and you're saying it ought to be. No, what I'm, I think what I'm saying is Bitcoin moves slowly, very slowly, right? And this feels like almost like an accidental byproduct, a taproot that wasn't foreseen, and now we have it. Yep. And I think it's potentially unfortunate. And I worry about the attack vectors that come from this, that attack, like attack the network, attack Bitcoiners, attack its use case of money, and potentially take it down a road that maybe leads to more centralization. Um, and ultimately, it might, might get to the point where go, well, it, Bitcoin fails as a project. Well, let's, let's take a step back for a second. We know the North Korean government has gotten Bitcoin and hacked it and used it for stuff. Is, what is a, if we're going to apply a moral lens to this, it's, it's, it, hold on, it's not so much a moral lens. I, I, a narrative I, lens, like, like, like reject, a narrative supremacy. Let me tell you why I reject that. It's not a moral lens. It is a goal to create the best money in the world. But then I, I go back and say, okay, so North Korea gets to use it to kind of perpetuate their dictatorship. Is that okay? I'd rather not know. What do you mean? Well, but not knowing doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You can't just pretend it doesn't exist. But that's a byproduct of money. So if it's money, it's money for enemies, but it's still money. And, you know, anything is a weapon. Anything can be at all a weapon, depending on how you point it, right? right? Exactly. You cannot create the best money without that money being access to other people. But well, if it's JPEGs and other weird shit that stops it being as good money, 
that is a concern of mine. And if it's something where we can see the entire shifted, like the narrative change, which means the, the old guard is out and new guard is in, and that new guard may be a little bit more Roger Ver in style and eventually lead to blockchain bloat, uh, centralization because nodes can't you know can't afford to run multi terabyte nodes and we end up going down that it's just well, it's a concern so hardware costs trend down over time and and that's why you know when I was a kid I had like a eight gigabyte hard drive and now I have you know a two terabyte hard drive in my backpack right the cost in Moore's law that stuff continues to scale I think we also need to understand that Bitcoin finding this use case of like a decentralized store like hard drive that anyone can use I got that from John Seth it could be used for good too. You could have, you know, like there's now tank man images on the blockchain forever. You know, people could coordinate you know, dissident campaigns and oppressive governments using this as a decentralized hard drive, knowing that the government can never fully delete it. This show is brought to you by Ledger. And now with everything that's happened in Bitcoin over the last few months, it again highlighted the importance of self-custody and why Ledger is such an important company for the industry. Now, I have been using a Ledger Nano S since 2017, since when I got back into Bitcoin. And I'm still using that same Ledger Nano S now. I still got, I literally got it here set with me right now. Now, with Ledger, you have industry leading security built into the Ledger device. And also, they have got a new device coming soon. It's called a Stax. It's totally awesome. I've pre ordered mine. But the Ledger Nano S has been the leading hardware device for people to store their Bitcoin for years now. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Next up, it is BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, fast withdrawals, and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, please head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O.io. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Also, today we have Ledin. And from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Now, Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only is a Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer. I've been using Ledin since they became a sponsor, and I absolutely love the service. Now, if you want to find out more about this, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. I would never, I'm not even arguing against that. Again, I'm just, sorry, don't mean to be a dick about this, but I'm going to try and stay laser focused. Is it a net positive or a net negative for creating the best money in the world? That's, that's my entire, everything comes down to that. Do we risk making this less good money by, by having it as a JPEG system? I think this fixes the Bitcoin security budget problem for the long term. Bitcoin no, doesn't, no, 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 no. It doesn't have a security budget problem. It, it, has it, does, it doesn't today. Yeah, but, no, you, it, but, it, but we don't know. Like, every sing, like that was a fear every Harvard. We don't know the price of Bitcoin in four years or four years later. Four, like but we, this de-risks it. Yeah, yeah, but, 
this could this could always have been done at a later date. Um, I'm yes, saying I agree with that. Yeah, I'm saying we, Bitcoin does not have a security budget problem today. It, to, today, it won't tomorrow. It's not going to inform. We don't know when. We don't if, know. Yeah, but, and so what we're doing is we're trying to potentially fix a problem we don't know exists that might never exist with something that might damage it. I think there was a there was a genuine concern because of all of the unknown unknowns that 20 years from now. We may not have had, you know, if you've, you've barely people using Bitcoin, you don't actually have enough miner subsidy to protect the network anymore. We, a, a robust Bitcoin fee market was always necessarily going to have to happen for the health of the network. And what used to be the narrative was that we would get additional user adoption over time to bring more people on board to be able to protect that. Now we have a buyer of last resort of Bitcoin block space that will always be keeping that fee pressure up, which will increase the value of using Lightning because if you can open up a Lightning channel, you can amortize the cost of your light, your Bitcoin transaction over years and years and years of that channel. You do one transaction fee to open it and then you're using Lightning for the rest of the time. Fees are going up, aren't they? Every cycle, the amount collected in fees, both in Bitcoin terms and dollar terms. We did that with Sam Wooter, didn't we? I mean, I think it depends on when in the cycle you pick. Maybe on average, though. Yeah, on average. Yeah. So we don't have a security budget issue at the moment. Yet. But a halving is like, you know, you know, if you want to keep it at parity, every halving, you have to double the Bitcoin price to be at place. And like, I don't think that's a, that's a very precarious place to, for this to continue working. The price has to double. So the, so the, so we have to, for the next halving, we have to trend somewhere between... Uh, base of 50, so 30 and 140. Okay. That's perfectly achievable. But what if it doesn't? And what about in 40 years' time? Right. Yeah, but you and say, then another four years' time. You're, you're saying, what if it doesn't? It's the same with me saying, what if uh, a, a, a new guard of Bitcoiners campaign and get us to eight megabyte blocks but, and we just have less nodes? But to the point of the price doubling every four years, it can't double every four years forever. No, but it doesn't have to double every four years forever. It has to keep, the fee market has to keep increasing to a point where it's uneconomical to attack the network. It's been uneconomical to attack the network for a long time. Okay, so that's all it has to do. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to double every time. You, we might need like three more doublings, and we, we're good. But I, I find it a, I find it a real hard justification for something that may be decades down the line that we need something now that adds risk to this being the best form of money. That's what I struggle with. And so I, come, I always come back to my, my just very simple question. Is this a net negative or a net positive for creating the best money ever? I think you should talk to like the pruning that might be available. Yeah, so um, th this is, I mean, the pruning point's good in that uh, the witness data today, and, and this is talking about what makes it best money, is best money part of it, everyone being able to independently verify the entire supply of everything? Because today, if you use the Bitcoin default specs, you download it and you start running it, it uses, runs a flag called assume valid. So every six months, there's actually kind of like a stamp saying, this is the, you know, at this height, this was like the Bitcoin hash, right? It kind of gives you, make sure you're on the right path. You actually don't verify all of the signatures if you're running the default software right now. And with all of the, with all of the inscription stuff, since it's sitting in the witness, it's something that's pretty trivial to prune out where you can maintain your economic nodes for the things you care about. And if maybe if you're in the developing world and you don't have a big tar drive, you don't need a full archival node of every single Bitcoin transaction ever. Maybe what's good enough for you is you can validate the state and the validity of your transactions that you're holding and you're receiving. 
right? This is an idea um, of being able to just focus on, instead of being the decentralized database for everyone to get a full sync from you, you just are looking out for, this is what I need to personally verify the quality of my money that I'm spending and the quality of the money I'm receiving. And pruning is a really great way to make it much more economical. So it's not just a zero to one. It's not a binary of, do you have a Bitcoin node or not? There's a whole spectrum in the middle. Yeah. And I think the fact that stuff is all sitting in the witness and you get discarded anyway, after a certain block height, you can just kind of throw this stuff away and make a security assumption saying, 300,000 blocks have gone by. I'm pretty sure if someone was trying to pull something funny, a single node in the entire network would be able to call it out and end the whole like fraud. So it's a very good security trade-off is because you only need one honest actor to have the actual honest blockchain to be able to say, oh, that's like, that's an illegitimate transaction. That person doesn't actually have that money. And you as an individual, you know, because you're going back to the use case in the developing world, you can just have your small node that validates everything that you need directly for yourself. So do you, do you think ordinals and inscriptions make Bitcoin better money? I think that's a really big question. I would say that people that are speculating and holding on to um, rare ordinals and inscriptions, all this stuff, reduces the available supply out for trading, which makes it better money because people are having higher demand for it. I think on the other side, to your point about the runability, usability of a node, it makes it harder to be decentralized because it increases the software requirements. I think... I am still putting my thoughts in, around this. Like mm. I, it, it, I've been, I actually started playing around with ordinals because you asked me to come on the show to talk about them. So I went and downloaded an ordinal node and started playing around with it. That was Danny. Was, <laughs> was it Danny? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Danny asked me to do that. So I started playing around with it. And then I just happened to be in Bitcoin Park last week. Uh, and I got to meet Casey and was coding with him. And very funny, Just I, I think also not just as the money, but also within the crypto communities, people have started... Uh, actually moving their assets from Ethereum to Jason, Bitcoin. Jason Williams, I saw that. Yeah. By the way, I fucking love that. I can absolutely I, can I tell you the story behind absolutely that? Absolutely love that. Let me just say one more thing. Um I like the fact you're wrestling with this because I am I am really wrestling with it because I see the fun and the the cool side of it. And the I see the, Yeah, and I also see the, you know, using the blocks. I can I can see every single use case for that. But you know, when we try and create the best money the world has ever seen and it's decentralized, the very first pillar and if this pillar breaks, this is like your central column, mm -hmm. is that it has to be state resistant. Yep. And anything that potentially centralizes us and damages state resistance concerns me the most. And I don't know enough, but my suspicion is this could be a centralizing force which damages that pillar. And that was, that's what worries me. I think we have to remain vigilant and have primacy over that. And I think everyone who appreciates Bitcoin for its different perspectives also wants to preserve that. I even think the JPEG people want to preserve that. They want to make sure that they can have access to all of this stuff in the far distant future, because otherwise it has no value today if it's going to get captured tomorrow, right? Um, one, and two, just from a cultural observation, this is this is something that um, in this current conversation is important, but I view this lens in politics, culture, life in the larger like sense. The side that's having more fun is going to win. Like no, memes- Do not buy that at all. Well, hold on. Just hear me out for a second here. Specifically, uh, having um, an enforcement structure um, adds friction and cost to interactions. Whereas if someone's having fun, they're going to be self-motivated to keep on doing what they want to do. And if you're talking about like meme warfare, like whoever's like being silly, fun and irreverent, they, you know, they're, they get to have fun. And whereas the other side is, is trying to police and control that behavior. That's a cost to try and police and control behavior. And because of that, 
the side that's having fun just has a natural uh, momentum about it, whereas there's an inertia trying to kind of control stuff. I think you'll change your mind on that point of the future. I, 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 okay. I think you've shot from the hit there. Because, and I don't mean no, to I've be been rude. thinking about that for a while. But, but, but I, I don't buy that in the slightest. I think the uh, crypto DJs have been having way more fun for us for years. They've like I watched the Solano boys, and I've been to Art Basel. These people are having a lot of fun. They've had more fun than us for years. We've won because we created the best money. That we have won, by the way. It's not which wins. We already won. Well, I okay. agree with that. And we won because we created the best money. But I think Bitcoin, fun had nothing to do with well, it. But no, Bitcoin culture is fun, though. I, it I is push fun. back on that. We have our own fun. Yeah, but no, we, no, we don't have as much fun. Where do you think the whole like have fun, staying poor thing came from? We're having fun because the number's going up and we're all having fun in Bitcoin land because we get to laugh at all of them and all their clownish acts. We're having fun taking the responsible path, but we're, but the culture is having fun with it. I understand well, and that, respect but, your but, point about it can feel sterile at times. But this bit but, of fun is immeasurable and subjective. Well, I mean, so let's, let's talk about some fun here because uh, I was at Bitcoin Park. I was talking with Casey. He said the first person that sends uh, a ape, a board ape yacht club or a crypto punk over to the Bitcoin chain as an inscription will be a winner and like a legend forever. And Jason Williams said, help me. And <laughs> Jason was like, I want to burn my monkey. I have a monkey. I have a gun to his head. <laughs> I have a gun to my monkey's head and I want to execute him. What about so then I, I, I pulled Casey aside. I was like, hey, I have someone who wants to burn a monkey. He's like, are you kidding me? I was like, I'm like, what do we do? What's the next step? He's like, we write the code. I can't so believe you didn't call me and we burned my rare pep. We can do that next. Oh Look no, up. that was already on Bitcoin. It's on Counterparty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, Casey grabs me by the shoulder. We walk over to a corner and we start talking about what this is. He comes up, with, he, Casey comes up with the term teleburn, a teleport burn, right? So we start designing like, okay, how could you do this? And without getting too technical, you, you take your inscription ID, you make an inscription ordinal on, on Bitcoin, you get a unique ID, you hash it and you shrink it so it fits as an Ethereum address and you just one way send it. And that's what, you know, Casey tested it by burning his rotomore.eth. He took rotomore.eth and just sh shipped it off to his Genesis inscription. He's only made one inscription. It's the first inscription. It's kind of this cool day of the dead like skull. Uh, so he did that as a test. And then we went over and we burned Jason Williams half a million dollar board at Yop Club. I mean, and, I, I love... And, and now he's like, it's, and his perspective is that it has transcended... Um, all of the controversy of the racism and anti-Semitism that project's been seeing, and it's now transcended to the bright orange, you know, I, I future. Do. This is, so, I do love this stuff. Yeah. And anything like this, which completely destroys the use case of Ethereum, I love. You know, Ethereum's last cycle was NFTs. That's really what it was. And they're going to have to come up with some new bullshit next time. What was it? IFOs? Yeah. Initial farm offerings. Like yeah. They're, they're constantly going to come up with new shit. And we beat them on money and now we beat them on JPEGs. I love the fact that we constantly beat them. Yeah. It, honestly, I fucking love it. But <laughs> the butt remains. The dick butt remains. The dick butt remains. <laughs> yeah, so the dick butt is really funny too because... Uh, 50 Bitcoin. Well, Ryan Brian didn't actually sell it though, did he? No, uh, Hoddle told me he got offered it for one Bitcoin, didn't buy it. It's now listed yep. for 50. Yep. Yeah, so Rindell's great. So Rindell's one of the guys from Clubhouse, and I was busy working, you know, and doing everything I was doing at my company, and I heard all this stuff that was going on about ordinals, and Rindell was, like, talking about, oh, hey, here's a video. I, I put a, a dick butt as, the first, like, the second inscription after Casey, and he put it on a SATS, uh, SATS card. If you've seen the SATS cards from CoinKite? Yep. Yeah, so... There's a real Bedford SATS card. There are real Bedford SATS cards. Well, I actually want to one-up that. I wanted to give you a present and get this on before the end of the show. 
I have a Sats card here for you. Have you uh, inscribed the Royal Bedford logo? Absolutely. You motherfucker. <laughs> here you go. So, oh, yeah. you're out of order. Love it now. Fuck yeah. it. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. There you go. And I own that. That's it, It's on the card. So I can sell that. Yeah. I wonder how much I was, a, I was at Bitcoin Park, and I was like a DJ taking requests, making inscriptions for everyone. Well played. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Now you have a real Bedford. And I gave you, like two I'm years ago, I gave you the rare that. Pepe's on the open dime. And now you have uh, now you have an inscription on a Sats card with the real Bedford logo. Every time I see you, I get a present. Yeah. Okay, question. Yeah. You've done that. Yep. Say I inscribe one. Sure. Which is the one? It's whatever value you want to assign to it. I would assume from a provenance perspective, one coming from you would be you know, it's all a shared hallucination, right? It's subjective yeah. value. This is We've left the world of objective Bitcoin transactions to this aesthetic taste, and which I think is one of the most exciting things in this ordinal project that you're now on the Bitcoin playground. You're, you're, you're at my house now. So Ooh. like, like um, one, you have to use Bitcoin transactions to make this whole thing work. Two, I think what we're seeing initially with all of these like kind of copy-paste JPEGs over from the Ethereum projects is just the first move because it's just the easiest thing to do. I think it's a way to have Bitcoin culture and aesthetics as part of the art. And I think that's just very early days in understanding what that's ultimately going to mean and look like. Mm. And so if yours would probably be worth a good amount because, you know, relative to some sort of collector, I'm not a collector. I've actually have made a bunch of inscriptions for people making requests for me to make them for them because they knew I could do it. I haven't made one for myself yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I still have zero interest in I think NFTs. this one, though, inscription cool. number six, what is it? Did you scroll up a little bit there? Six bazillion. 69,971. That is the one that was on the What Bitcoin Did show. So that has provenance. That's yours. I gave it to you at this time and place. It has some sort of relative timestamp. If you make one, it'll be inscription number 110,000 or something. So there's two. Point. There's like, a, which came first, but also um, who did it? Yeah. So, like, if I ignored yours and did one, someone's more likely to buy mine. Sure. I'm, yeah. I'm also not even selling. I just gave it to you, right? Yeah. Like, you have it now on that SAS card. You could have sold it to me. I think it, why I, would I? Because that'd give me, like, six Bitcoin for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, but this is... Uh, no, and I could see, look, do you know what? I could put every player in our team on there, and I could sell them, and yeah. that would raise money for the team. Like, yeah. I see these things. I still don't understand why people buy them beyond thinking they can flip them. I'm personally not... An art collector, I couldn't tell you. Like my wife here, am. she can tell you that I'm not collecting art. I'm not buying art. I don't have the visual aesthetic lens for all of that stuff. I'm more more on the technical side. Uh, it really, I guess, value is in the eye of the beholder and understanding, right? Like maybe Jason's uh, monkey that he uh, burned, he teleburned from Ethereum to Bitcoin. Maybe you know, as a first, like that means something, right? Uh, maybe you know the first inscription. Like Casey's inscription, worth a lot because it was the original one. The dick butt is the second inscription ever made. It was the first person that made one that wasn't Casey, like you just said before, like, you know, being listed out for 50 Bitcoin. And like, these are all, you know, it, it, it's, it, I think it's very entirely possible. There's like a immediate craze because of all of the NFT JPEG people coming over and plowing their capital and trying to play around in these markets. And this very well could fizzle out. It could. Do you think there's any link between the price run up recently and this, or do you think it's completely independent? Is there any reason to oh, say? Oh, interesting. It, it, yeah, because uh, we had a run up yesterday. I think the global markets are too complicated to assign it to right, this stuff okay. specifically. Uh, 
possible. Sure. If you had some whale that was like, I'm now more bullish on Bitcoin because of this use case. Sure. But like a market is made up of, you know, millions and millions of participants in Bitcoin that are buying and selling. It's hard to say like, this is the reason why. How are the ETH people responding to this? Uh, I think they like the opportunity, but then when people do stuff like the Teleburn, they view it as an attack on the Ethereum network because they're destroying the asset on the ETH side and they're moving it over to the Bitcoin side. I mean, that's kind of what I'm asking about. Are they seeing this as a th- more of a threat? Are they seeing... Because it, there's more value to holding it on Bitcoin than there is on the- Ethereum. Well, when I think it, it's pretty objective in that, yeah. you know, the data permanence of this is not up for debate. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Rweave goes down, IPFS goes down. It's not really, you know, it, it, you have much more resiliency of it. And I think... A lot of the attention to value is because now this is on Bitcoin and people in Bitcoin find this interesting, which is a much larger capital base than Ethereum, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, double the size. Maybe not all of the actors that are using Bitcoin for this stuff care about this stuff, but there, I think Bitcoin has legitimacy in anyone who's involved in cryptocurrency as the gold standard. It is the best blockchain that exists. And the fact that this now exists here has a lot of people trying to chase and trying to understand and play in that space. What do you think, Danny? I'm firmly on the couldn't really give a shit either way. And the point really for me is that what are you going to do about it anyway? So that's my take. Well, I, so then I would want to speak to somebody who knows something can be done. Said so this is what you could do. Well, what you could do is you could do a fork. Yeah, but like I'm saying, it's like the, what are the steps for that? How do you build consensus? Is is there like there a, is no rule book? This is this is the thing about Bitcoin and like why even something like Taproot, which everyone cryptographically believed like this is a good thing to do. There was a whole meta debate on how do you even activate it? Because there is no set attack path. Like, there's no, like, because people view it as an attack. The idea, yeah. if you're changing Bitcoin, um, American Hoddles had this metaphor. Have you ever seen Independence Day when the mothership opens up its door? Yeah. The mothership opens up its door, and that's when it's vulnerable. When you're changing the rules of Bitcoin, that's when it's most vulnerable on this technical consensus layer. So you, there is no set, like, oh, well, you get 10,000 signatures and then you do a BIP and then, like, there is no rules. Who was that Romanian Bitcoin who drowned? Oh, I can't remember his name. The, he was a bit of a lunatic. Yeah. Ray Pepscu? Yeah. D- d- didn't he still run like version one of the software and he hated Something every like version since? Yeah. Well, who was it telling me about, um, you were telling me about Luke Dash's version of Bitcoin Core? Oh, Bitcoin Knots? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know about this? Yeah, yeah. But this is basically the same thing. He's taken every conservative option throughout, So, but he's still running the Bitcoin protocol. Yeah, so Bitcoin Knots um, censors Satoshi Dice transactions. Interesting. Right. So people could run these implementations. Here's the problem, though. You could maybe on the peer-to-peer, like I have a new transaction I want to send, and you want to censor that. But if it's in a block, you have to accept it. Otherwise, you break consensus. So you can try and have soft social pressures. But if it gets into a block, it's gonna. you have to accept it or you have to fork off. Who are the anti-people? Is it, I'm going to guess, um, it's going to be Pierre Rochard, Adam Back, Francis Poulier, Luke Dasha, not sure on Odell. I've not seen him talk about it, but I can imagine he's he kind did of Citadel good. Dispatch, and he was kind of poking around. I think, I think initially everyone had the healthy reaction of, what the heck is going on here? And this could like, is this an attack on Bitcoin? I think I've seen Pierre and seen others say like, we're now in an evaluation phase because it's you know they're not looking to fork right now. Yeah, but they're collecting data. Like Pierre does really great like infographics and charts talking about here's how much transaction fees and the mempool is related to ordinal stuff versus normal transactions. Because you don't want to hastily make another change and then find out that you made an even bigger problem. Yeah, I think the wait and see is actually a good point. It is the way to do it. Have have you seen Dylan LeClaire put out a really good tweet? Let me pull it up. Yeah, when he was talking about block space usage. Yeah. 
I've been also running my own analytics of just looking at the mempool, the unconfirmed transactions and seeing out of the low fee ones, like over half of them are these ordinal inscriptions. So we should admit, like people who are pro this should admit they're not, they were never really anti-NFT. They were just anti-Ethereum. Yeah, this is platform maximalism versus monetary maximalism. Yeah, right? yeah. If you, you believe Bitcoin is the best platform ever should be on Bitcoin, but they're all part of the Bitcoin camp. They all run the Bitcoin code and they're all consensus with each other. It's hard to... Uh, it's hard to disagree. These are very interesting charts of yeah. Dilla. Taproot usage now is like what fifteen percent when it was maybe one percent. <laughs> yeah, it was under one percent. You know, a month ago. Yeah. I mean, that was that funny Eric Wall tweet. His twenty twenty three predictions was Taproot adoption would like double to like two percent. He was being glib, and now it's fifteen percent a month later. Suck it up, Eric. But Eric <laughs> would like this. I know Eric. Well, yeah, no, Eric's having. I think. I mean, it's part of that irreverent fun, and I think you 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 have to openly acknowledge a lot of this too. Is just trolling a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Udu do it. Yeah, with his Bitcoin wizards, the, the, the Taproot wizard, wizards, Taproot wizards, yeah. wizards, kind of funny. Yeah, no, it's, that's the other thing. It is kind of funny. It's well, fun. that, that's your and then is, going back to thing like a standard army destroys itself. Let's have some fun. We, we've got nothing to fight over. Let's have some fun. Let's enjoy it. I'm, I am, like I say, if you've got anti here, pro here, and you got the middle line, and just on the anti, but not sure. so much want to do anything about it. I want to observe. I, I think I think my concern's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. I think Bitcoin at, is resilient and it's it's handling this new influx of new transaction types and use cases, and the network hasn't broken. So first off, the software right now is still functioning. This hasn't broken Bitcoin. Yeah, I think the responsible thing to do is collect data, give it a year, see if because if this is a flash in the pan, then there's a whole hullabaloo changing code over nothing. So give it some time to see the permanence of this. If this actually isn't a fad, if it's actually going to be an enduring element of Bitcoin, you then can have time to walk through and think about what are the right things to do to change that. Yeah, I have. I personally think it's going to be a block size decrease because the last thing you want to do is say, oh, we're going to censor ordinal transactions. Because what you're going to do then, it's a cat and mouse game. You're just going to change what it looks like and you're yeah. still going to be able to get it anyway. Yeah, and this is... Uh, it, Casey put a lot of thought into making this as minimally invasive as possible. Like, uh, it doesn't bloat the UTXO set, which is something that's um, more of a tight constraint than block space because the UTXO set, all of the unspent transactions that exist in Bitcoin have to sit in local memory. So you can't, if I, like, because what people used to do in 2012 or even earlier, they used to do just random public keys and just like, like garbage, like transactions to represent data. And then that pollutes that permanently. So for someone who did that stuff back in 2012, that can never leave local memory, which is much more scarce than block like hard drive space. Fair, fair. Yeah. So like it's, yeah. I think it's a wait and see approach to understand: is this a flash in the pan? If it continues to grow in adoption, I think at least for the next six months to a year, this is going to be ripping for a while. I think a lot of people are entering and playing around with this stuff, but we should be really careful before we make a consensus change. And if it comes down to a consensus change of decrease in the block size. I'm here for it. I want smaller blocks. Like Rodolfo talks about this, where if you can get to 300 kilobyte blocks, you could do all of your block relay over AM radio. <laughs> if you could do it all over AM radio, that you don't have to worry about if the internet goes down. You can start broadcasting blocks to everyone, and it makes it much more resilient. Like that's the ultimate side I want to be on is as this decentralized technology being able to survive and be resilient. That's my top priority. I then also live in a world of this exists and I can't change it, and I'm not going to fork off my coins to do that yeah i mean i wouldn't fork off like what will like i come down to what will be will be but i think it's worth debating sure i think yeah. i think this is starting an interesting conversation the the mempool may never empty again it's possible it will at, at the moment it just becomes so cheap to send these like at one sap per v byte you can just send such large amounts of data that someone now is going to use it for a use case 
always. Mm. Like someone's going to find a way, whether it's putting photos of their dog, if it's going to be, you know, it, it, you've seen the Opraturn bot on Twitter. So there's a bot. So Opraturn, just very quickly, uh, you can actually put arbitrary text into a Bitcoin transaction. It doesn't actually. Oh, yeah. So this is where like they know there's a certain block and they celebrate and they put a BI. Yeah, they're here. like, oh, like, or it's my wedding day, right? Like they'll do yeah. a little message, right? Uh, this is just the higher scale version of that. Right. Instead of using 40 characters or 80 characters, you're now using full yeah. images or scripts or text. But like, people have put games onto Bitcoin, like Zork. <laughs> which was one from like the 1980s. It was like a text RPG, like go north, pick up sword. Yeah. It's now like it's there. It's one of the inscriptions is just the JavaScript code running Zork. I think they did Doom as well. Yeah, Doom. Yeah, Doom. I'm yeah. old enough that, that they were the games I played when I was a kid. Yeah. They literally were. Man, you are old. I am old. My first computer was a BBC. Like the British Broadcasting Channel? I don't know if it's the same company, but it was a BBC. And my first game I ever played was called Manic Miner. Manic Miner. Yeah, bring up Manic Miner screenshots. Yeah, there's a little character. Was it American Hoddle has a bounty? He wants to get lemmings as an inscription. <laughs> yeah, like this is people are going to find use cases to throw this stuff on there now. So uh, we have to wait and see. Ultimately, I think Bitcoin is strong enough to survive this. It's just going to be a bit of a social question how you get coordination on making any sort of change to route around this. There you Look get at it. that computer. Was this really your first computer? My first, my first computer. I remember my dad coming home from work one day with it. He said floppy disks. Or cassettes. The cassettes were a fuck. You'd put the cassette in and it would take about 10, 15 minutes to load the game and could fail. <laughs> and it would go, mm -mm. Uh, Search for Manic Miner. I'm pretty sure this has come up on the show before. It's the first game I ever played. I remember it. I only think I ever got to about... Like, these games were so hard. I only think I got to about level eight. That looks like Lemmings. I still go and play on the... Um, you know, you get the emulators. I still go and play this game on an emulator. Still trying to complete this game. <laughs> wow. 40 years later. Still not done it. Still not done it. Do you want to quick, show... Well, 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 really quick plug, Hell Money podcast. That's Casey and Aaron's podcast. Um, they've been doing a lot. They've been talking about the Ordinal stuff for a while. Uh, want to push them out yeah, there Yeah, please too. do. Yeah. And, and do you want to uh, show your company? Yeah. So uh, very quickly, uh, the company I founded uh, last year, um, coming up on a year now, yeah, uh, Anchor Watch, which is a nautical term referring to the crew of sailors who watch the ship at night while it's at anchor. And we're building an insurance company for actual Bitcoin. Uh, we are using some really interesting technology with our wallet, Trident wallet, to, using Bitcoin Miniscript to allow us to have more advanced Bitcoin scripting uh, scenarios to have multi-institutional custody. So you can do really interesting things like uh, key hierarchy. So in a legacy two of three multi-sig, we have the three of us here. Let's say you're a customer. You're concerned if you hold a key, I hold a key, Danny holds a key, is that we can go run off with your money. But we can actually set this up on chain, no fork required, so that your key must sign, plus one of the two of us, right? Additionally, you can add things like and and or statements. So you can add different tiers of a vault security where you can do things with time locks where let's say a very straightforward example everyone has thought of before around this stuff is a decaying multi-six. So you can have a five of five. And then if the money hasn't moved in six months, it becomes a four of five. And then in nine months, it becomes a three of five and a two of five, right? So you can add resiliency to the ability for you to secure your Bitcoin and have much more flexibility. You could have like vesting like that as well. Yeah, you could do escrow. You could do like employee distribution of like bonuses and stuff. Yeah, you can add our, our core thesis is that we're going to be enabling a lot of this Bitcoin smart contracting language that exists today 
have those hard rules as code and blend that with off-chain governance and compliance for insurance use cases. Because today, uh, insurance in general, you know, you leave all of your money at one custodian. And it's a very legacy banking model of mm. thinking about how you'd want to secure your money. Why wouldn't you want to have a distribution of multiple parties that can uh, distribute that risk? And as you distribute the risk, you can actually bring insurance to Bitcoin. And today, the insurance markets are very undercapitalized, underdeveloped, where you may have a large custodian and they are not dollar, like they're not insured for the amount of money you have there, right? So maybe you're getting five cents on the dollar or something if there's a mass loss event. Because if that one custodian has a loss, everyone has a loss. You could have some sort of segmentation and tranches, but just very likely in the correlation likelihood, you're going to have a loss. There's going to be many, many, many losses. So uh, we're tackling a hard problem, I think, for just core Bitcoin financial infrastructure. Well, if you come to London, maybe we'll talk about that a bit. Yeah, more. we'll be swinging by Lloyd soon enough, and I'll uh, maybe catch out a Real Bedford game. We would love that, man. All right, Rob, great to see you, man. Pleasure having me Sorry on. to be so argumentative. I didn't mean to be a dick, but I just... It's all right. It's the first I, time I got into it. Well, listen, like th this is a tough conversation, and um, I think we're just starting to understand and kind of explore what the debate space is now. I wasn't trying to bring this as a debate. I was trying to bring more just forward of this is how the technology works. But I can understand where you're coming from and trying to explore the deeper ideas uh, beyond how the tech works. Well, it's the first time I've really spent any time thinking about it. So I was like figuring out my head as sure. you were explaining it because it's, like I've just avoided it for a while. Yeah. But uh, yeah, here's what it is. Thank you for coming on, man. Appreciate you. Thanks. Okay, what do you make of that? Did you enjoy that? I am now the semi-proud owner of an ordinal. Every time I see Rob Hamilton, he has a gift for me. He gave me a rare pep before, which I've not done anything with, and now he's given me an ordinal. Well, I think he gave me an ordinal. I don't even know if I've got it anymore. I think I left the Sats card where we were recording in New York, so I wouldn't be surprised if Jeremy has that one. But anyway, super interesting conversation. Uh, I'm glad we delayed this one, actually. Usually we kind of jump in when there's something new to discuss and become part of the conversation, but I kind of wanted this one to play out. I had a feeling it was going to be one of these things that was like a big burst, loads of people talking about it, and then like NFTs on any shitcoin blockchain, people kind of got bored of it. And I think that's what's happened. I think that's maybe why the mempool has cleared. Anyway, thanks to Rob for coming on the show. It was great to push him on this, great to test some of these ideas. Um, I'm also going to try and speak to Casey, the guy who invented Ordinals. I'm going to try and speak to him when we're in Miami. And listen, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, you know you can get in touch. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Please also go and check out our Patreon. Loads of exclusive content up there now for subscribers. That's patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. All right, have a great week, and I will see you all on Wednesday. Wednesday.